Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in two passages of Scripture. In just a moment, we'll be in Psalm 24. So in a moment, Psalm 24. And then immediately, in in the very near future, we'll be in Matthew chapter 21. Psalm 24, and then Matthew chapter 21. And then maybe loosen up your fingers just a little bit today, because we're going to use our Bibles quite a bit today. We're going to stay anchored primarily in Psalm 24, but we will be using our Bibles today as we look at a question from Scripture. Have you ever been someplace before where you see that people are craning their neck to get a look at who it is that's there? Some years ago, I was in the heart of New York City and walking with a group, and and as we were, you could see that there were a lot of people with their phones out, and they're trying to get a picture of something that's going on. And, And of course, you don't know if there's a problem, if there's a honestly if there's a fight or what's going on but but as we got closer and we could see the excitement of the crowd that was watching we said hey what's going on and they said oh they're they're filming something right up there and and quite honestly I don't remember the name of who it was that they were all impressed to see I said well who is it and they said the name of this famous actor that was there on the streets of New York City and I think it was someone like I don't know, Donald Duck or something like that. I don't remember exactly who it was. But, but anyways, it was some famous person and, and they're looking and taking pictures. And, and of course, the more people that come up, they say, hey, who is it? Who is it? And maybe you've been in a situation before where there's someone on a plane or someone in a restaurant and, and someone says, did you know who I just saw seated just to your right? And you'll say, who is it? You know, it's not uncommon. In fact, um, when you think about, you know, the, the history of Jerusalem, Josephus was one of those historians who lived during the time of some of the New Testament writers. Josephus said that it wasn't uncommon for Jerusalem to swell to four or five times its population during the celebration of Passover. There are people crowded everywhere. And when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, through the Kidron Valley and and up into the city itself, there are people that are literally everywhere. Would it surprise us with with all of the attention that's taking place and and all of the people who begin to shout this, this shout of exclamation? They're, they're, they're hearkening back to things that they've read in the old prophets. And they begin to exclaim as this one comes in, it's not uncommon or unreasonable at all for us to think that there would be scores of people who would say, who is it? Your Bibles are open right now to Matthew chapter 21. Look at the biblical evidence of the same. Matthew chapter 21 beginning in verse number 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. 
And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. The words that were cried out by the Jewish masses are not unfamiliar words. These are words that were actually familiar to really to every Jewish child specifically every little Jewish boy would know that he has learned from the Hallel from Psalm 118 that there is something regarding saving something regarding this entrance that that starts to ring as familiar Psalm 118 verse 26 blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord the word Hosanna, it's derived from a, actually a compound Hebrew word. So this is something that, that they've transliterated into Greek, but this is a Hebrew word that they're just reiterating. It's Yashana, Yashana, Yasha, which means save, Na, which means now, Yashana, Hosanna. They're shouting out to this one who is coming He's the one we've been waiting for. Save us now. Now he came with the power to save. But oftentimes you and I somehow superimpose our definition upon God's. Have you ever prayed for something before and asked God to do something and then God seems to answer in a way consistent with the prayer but not consistent with your desire? And you know, the people who are saying, okay, this is the one. We've heard about this one. I mean, if he can do these things, certainly he's the one to rule and reign from the throne of David. No more Roman tyranny. No more some Gentile nation ruling over us, the Jews. Hosanna! Save now. The, the, the palm branches, they were waving them. They were, they were laying them along the way, actually taking their garments as well as they would welcome a king who's coming back. They would lay them in the way. And as Jesus enters, he's, he's carpeted with these garments, these robes, these palm branches. This is something that, that was a first, but not a last. So many things we see as prophetic fulfillment of Christ's arrival in Jerusalem. But Christ is also, in a sense, presenting. He is preparing us for something that's also going to happen. We see in Revelation chapter 7, verse number 9. And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. Now this is just not the Jewish nation. It says, of all nations and kindreds, and people, and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And then verse number 12, Romans chapter 7, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. It is clearly entirely reasonable 
that with all of the excitement in Jerusalem, the Bible says the, the whole city comes out. Well, a city times many. People everywhere and constantly people are asking the question, who is it? Who is this? What's going on? Who is the one? I mean, they're asking the question. It'll be good for us to ask the same. Is there a reliable answer for who is this king? The Bible always prepares us for answers to important questions. And your Bibles are open right now to Psalm 24. So let's see, are there some qualifications? If a person's going to fill the role of the king, shouldn't there be some qualifications that this person is prepared to meet? And I would add another level of qualification, not just king, but who is this king of glory? Your Bibles are open to Psalm 24. Let's begin reading in verse number 7. Psalm 24, verse number 7. Here the Bible records, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Now look at verse number 8. Here again is the same question people were asking in Jerusalem on this day that we are recognizing as, as a palm day. Who is this king of glory? Notice the answer. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Verse 9. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Again, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Or rest and let your mind meditate upon that. Do you know this king of glory that we're looking at today? Jesus who comes and and they prepare the way. This king enters Jerusalem in a way that certainly received the hosannas of the multitude. But he comes uniquely. We, We might even question if this is all we have like Wow, is this really the way a king should enter? He comes riding on not a stallion or or not a stallion that is pulling his, his beautifully ornate chariot. And he comes outfitted in his armor and bearing a sword. Behind him, as would be customary, behind him are the conquered kings. They are shackled and oftentimes humiliated behind the conquering king. And then to add more illustriousness to the presentation, they would not only have the conquered foe, but oftentimes there would be many carrying the treasures that this conquering king has taken. And so in tow are those defeated foes, those conquered kings, those treasures that now belong to the conqueror. And he comes in straight and strong and tall and mighty and oh everyone looks and and applauds the king but Jesus doesn't come into Jerusalem this way he comes riding upon the beast of burden the one who came to bear our own he comes in the fulfillment of prophecy 
Zechariah chapter 9, listen to verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Okay, so, so, so we're to rejoice. Shout to Hosanna. But now it defines how that king comes. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt. The foal of an ass. This is not an isolated prophecy. Jesus comes riding upon this simple animal. Isn't it interesting that, that we understand that Mary would have, who was bearing the child, also ride upon the same? And this is not an isolated prophecy. In fact, we start to back up the historical record and we, we go back to the beginnings, the book of beginnings that starts to show us there's an answer for the fall of mankind. And what do we see? Who should we be looking for even as far back as the book of Genesis? Genesis 49, beginning in verse number 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Ah, the lion of Judah is coming. The scepter, this is the rule of authority and power. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. The, the, the one who brings healing, peace. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Listen to this. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt, Unto the choice vine. What does Jesus present himself as in John chapter 15, verse number five? Jesus said, I am the vine. And what does Genesis tell us about this one who has come riding upon the mule, the donkey, this, this, this foal, this colt? Who is the one that is bound to the donkey? It says, The vine. Jesus. The vine, the true vine comes and we have this early indicator of who is this king of glory? Well, who is the king of glory? What are his qualifications? Let's look a little bit further into Psalm chapter 24 and back up in the passage. In fact, let's go to the very beginning of Psalm chapter 24 and let's ask and then by God's help answer the question, who is this king of glory what are the qualifications that he possesses to rule as king well verse number 24 look at it with me excuse me verse number one psalm chapter 24 the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein hey have you ever had someone give you something before that didn't belong to them have you ever had that happen before? Have you ever had someone say, hey, yeah, no, 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 that's fine, you can have it. And then you take it and you find out it wasn't theirs to give. Years ago, we used to do a youth activity that was called Bigger and Better. Bigger and Better. And what you'd do is you'd start out with something like a pencil and then you'd go to people's homes, knock on their door and say, hey, we're from Campus Church. We're on a youth activity called Bigger and Better. We want to know if you have anything you want to trade that's bigger and better than this pencil. And people would say, oh yeah, come on to my garage, you know. And, and then they'd find something. They'd say, how about this? And we'd be great. Yeah, wonderful. And you'd get bigger and better. We got all kinds of things, really. We got, we got boats before 
We got lawn equipment, lawnmower, all kinds of stuff. We, we got a lot of stuff. But you know, every once in a while, someone would show up back at the church meeting location after the activity. And usually it was a husband. And you know what the wife was doing? Giving stuff away, okay? Hey, do you have anything better? Absolutely. I've been trying to get rid of this for years, you know. And she'll give us whatever it is that she wanted to get rid of of the husbands. And then we'd have some husband come in and say, hey, where's my shoes? I've had them since 1937. You know, that kind of a thing. And, and he wanted back what was given away. He was in a sense saying that wasn't hers to give. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What the Bible's saying here is that whatever is on the earth belongs to someone and he then has the right to do what he wants to do with what is his. Well, how does Jesus here on earth demonstrate that who is this king of glory? Ah, the Lord, strong and mighty. How does he demonstrate that he has the right to do what he wants to do here on earth with what is his? Well, he, he did so on numerous occasions. Time will prevent us from looking at many. But look at one, Matthew chapter 14, if you'd like to look at it with me. In Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse number 19, he commanded the multitudes. He commands the multitudes. Well, he has a right to do so, but notice what he does. Verse number 19, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Do you know, this is one simple example that Jesus has a right to do with creation, what he desires to do. Who else can take, you know, two small fish, five loaves of bread, break them and feed literally the thousands only one who has the authority and the right to do so. Otherwise, in a sense, you're distributing that which doesn't first and foremost belong to you. Well, Jesus has the right to do so. But look a little bit further in Psalm chapter 24. We also see that this goes a little bit further than one who just commands, in a sense, the multitudes and feeds the same. Look a little bit further. Psalm chapter 24, verse number 2. For he hath founded it upon the seas... And established it upon the floods. Who did? Well, the king of glory did. The king of glory says, hey, listen, I took the flood waters. I took that which covered the earth. And I have authority and control over the same. You can probably already anticipate some of the times when this king not only showed his power over the physical universe, over the things physical here on the earth. He also does so with the waters that cover the face of the earth. The Bible says it this way in John chapter 2, the first time we see like, like, whoa, he just controlled waters in a way that you'd have to have power and authority to do so. In John chapter 2, there's a wedding ceremony, a celebration, which by the way, is one of our indications that, that Christ participates in these social gatherings. And they came upon a dilemma that was quite serious. It would be embarrassing for the host, it would be embarrassing for the couple, they ran out of that which they served, the wine which people partook in. And, and they came to Jesus. Well, Mary went to Jesus. 
uh, uh, come, come, uh, he'll know what to do. And so they bring the, the people to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what should we do? And, and Jesus says, mine hour has not yet come. And she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus said, fill the, the water pots and fill them to the brim with water. And they do, and the servants know exactly what they have just done. And then immediately Jesus says, now draw out and take it to, in a sense, what we would call the master of ceremonies. Take it to the person who's over this gathering. Well, they had just put water overflowing into the pots. And now they reach the ladle down in and they, and they pull out and they pour into a cup and they can see something has changed. And they take it now and they serve it to the person who is the master over the event. And he tastes and he says, most of the time, people have served their best first, but you have done differently. You have saved the very best for last. Who is it that has authority to turn water into wine? I would submit it is only the king of glory. But he doesn't stop with just his, his changing the waters. He also, in Mark chapter 4, he conquered the waters. I mean, he, he not, just, not just has this ability to change it from one thing into the other. He actually conquers them. In Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse number 38, Jesus had had a tiring, exhausting day. He's asleep in the hinder part of the ship with his head on a pillow. And the Bible says he was in the hinder part of sheep on, asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? The winds had obviously increased and waves were now literally filling the ship. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? Another good question. They're saying in essence, who is this? What kind of a man is this? Well, I would answer, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. He not only changed the waters, he conquered the waters in Matthew chapter 8. He calmed the waters. And behold, Matthew chapter 8, verse number 24, there arose a great tempest in the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he asleep and his disciples came unto him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. What does he do again? He simply speaks and there was a great calm. What, what is it that Jesus has the power to do? Whatever he chooses to do, because he remains the king of glory. You know, the Sea of Galilee was about 13 miles long. It's about eight miles wide. It's interesting when we start to study these passages of scripture where, where the Lord at some point sent his disciples in a ship telling them to go to the other side. And Jesus sends them knowing he's sending them into the midst of the storm. This is not necessarily to go on at this moment with who is this king of glory. But you know, sometimes you may have felt that the Lord has sent you in a ship in your own Sea of Galilee, knowing that the wind and the waves were going to rage around you. 
And sometimes we stand back and we scratch our head and we say, Lord, why knowing what you know, would you send me into the midst of the sea? Why would you send me into the middle of the storm? Have you ever paused to think that the disciples, when did the, the, when did the disciples fear exceedingly? You know, they feared Jesus exceedingly, or we might put it another way, they respected him deeply. When? When he met them in the midst of their storm. I read recently a little quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and Spurgeon simply said, and I'm loosely quoting, but Spurgeon loosely said, it has not been in my times of ease and comfort that I have found the Savior the most satisfying. It is in the times of distress and hardship and loss and trial that he has come to me and met me with the sweetest of sounds, with the most comforting of his presence. It is in the times when I have been, so to speak, in the midst of the storm that I have recognized him as the king of glory. Well, what is he doing through all of this? I think the first thing that he's doing is he's showing, I have authority over creation and the king of glory must. But he doesn't stop there. He, he goes further even in this psalm. Look down at verse number eight, Psalm 24. Look down at verse number eight. Here again, the question is asked, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Now remember, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's riding upon a, a colt, the, the, the foal of a donkey. He's coming meek, he's coming humbly. He's not coming as that conqueror, but clearly Jesus is this conquering king. He's going to conquer a foe more ferocious than any earthly king has ever conquered. But he comes in and, and he's demonstrating, I am the king. Okay, so when he comes in, how does he demonstrate? How has he demonstrated that he is the conquering king? John chapter 18, let me invite you to take your Bibles and look at this passage with us. John chapter 18, in just a moment, we'll start in verse number one. John 18, remember we're asking the question, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Well, he has the authority to conquer, first of all, over humanity. He conquers over humanity. John chapter 18, look at verse number one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the, book, the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. And Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Now, pause for just a moment. If you're, if you're looking at a copy of the King James Version of the Bible, you will see that the word he is italicized. 
that, that's an indicator that the translators inserted the word he for readability, for clarity, but not because it's there originally. The two words that are there originally are I am. Look a little bit further. And then answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them as soon then as he had said unto them, I am. They went backward and fell to the ground. Verse number seven. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. I think there's a couple things that are interesting about this conquering king. First of all, the passage begins with then Jesus went forth, went forth. Okay, so it's just Jesus and his little ragtag band of disciples. It's just Jesus and they have a sword between them. And that is in the hands of of Peter and I don't know that I would trust him with a sword. So they've got a small group and, and Jesus said, let's go forth. Jesus is going forward to meet those that are coming to apprehend him. That is utter confidence in your own conquering ability. So Jesus goes forth to meet them and then he asks the question. It's a good question. Who are you looking for? Whom seek ye? We're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Well, well they didn't know that that was him, but they, they, they said, we're, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus simply utters two words. I am. You, you notice what happens when he utters the words. Just two words. I am. And what happens? It's as if a blast hits all of these that had come out with, 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 with weapons and, and with crowds to take him. It's as if a blast hits them and they fall backwards to the ground. What kind of power does this king possess? Absolute power. He he need but say who he is. And if he doesn't restrain it, all earth bows to his word. He asks them again. "I, I asked you once, who are you seeking? Can you imagine what it sounded like the second time? Maybe not the bravado. We're looking for Jesus. I am. They fall down. Uh, uh, Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I told you before. I am. Who is it now that says, I I will defend you? The apostle Peter. He he draws the sword. He's not very good with it. He, He chopped off a man's ear. That's... Not the best way to win a war. So, so he, he, he chops off a man's ear. And of course, later we see that Jesus actually touches the man's ear and restores it. He says, Peter, put away your sword. Now, notice what Jesus says next when he tells Peter to put up his sword. Matthew 26, verse number 52. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 52. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Listen to verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. 
Well, a legion in, in, in the Roman system, and this would be what they'd be referring to and familiar with, in the Roman system, a Roman legion is somewhere between five and 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, put up your sword. At any moment, I can ask my father, he will give me more than 12 legions of soldiers. Who has the confidence to have that kind of resolve and that kind of calm to say, put up your sword? I'll tell you who, the king of glory, who is Jesus the Christ. Even more calm does Jesus have when being questioned by Pilate. And Pilate now demanding Jesus to answer him. In John chapter 19, verse number 10, then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? You're not going to answer me? And then he goes on and he establishes his own criteria. He says, knowest not that, that I have power to crucify thee? I have power to release thee. Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Jesus is understanding, I am the king of glory. Pilate, I know you've been given great authority, but you can only go so far as my father allows. He has clearly power over humanity. And let me add, he not only has power over humanity, this one with authority to conquer, he has power over hell. We don't have time to look at the story, but in Luke chapter 8, verse 27 through 31, it's, it's the time when Jesus met this one we call the demoniac of Gadara. He asks the demoniac or those that are possessing this man, he says, what is your name? Do you remember the name that they responded with? The name that they responded with was, we are legion, for we are many. We just looked at the fact that a legion is five to six thousand and when Jesus approaches this one who's demon-possessed, what is your name? Listen, we, we are legion. If, if this is an accurate representation, this man is possessed of five to 6,000 demons controlling this one who fetters and chains could not bind. And now notice what they ask him. They ask him, they're petitioning Jesus. They're not petitioning their head, Satan himself. They're actually petitioning Jesus. And do you know what they say? They ask him a question. They besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Do you know what that word deep means? They're saying literally, don't send us back to the abyss. You look up the word as it's used all throughout scripture. We talk about the, the, those that have the key to the bottomless abyss. Do you know what they recognize about Jesus? They recognize this Jesus is the king. And he has all power. He has power over humanity. He has power over hell. By the way, if he has power over hell, that gives credibility to the fact that there hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He's able. He's, he's, he's powerful enough to make a way of escape. Why? So that you may be able to bear it. You know, lastly, he has power over creation, power to conquer, authority over all. He has authority not, over, not only over creation, 
authority not only to conquer, he has authority over what we might refer to today as corruption. Authority over corruption. Let's look finally at our passage in Psalm 24, verse number three. Who shall ascend into the, holy, into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lift up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah, lift up your heads, O gates, lift up Lift ye up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. I would submit that the only way you and I can ascend to stand in the holy presence of Almighty God, with purity without, that is clean hands, with purity within, that is a clean heart, is through the purity and power of one who has provided it for us, conquering the corruption of sin and hell and of death itself. Who is this conquering king? In Revelation 1.18, he said it this way. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. What, what do keys communicate to you? Well, to me, keys communicate access and not only access, if you're given a key, you're given some sense of authority, power, a right to. And do you know what Jesus is the possessor of? He's the possessor, he holds the keys of that which only he can fully control. But now is Christ risen from the dead? How does he do this? Because he has the keys of death and corruption itself. Jesus did all that he promised and set out to do. And just as Jesus was saved from the reality of corruption, did you know that he came to seek and to save people just like you and just like me from the same? There's coming a future day when Jesus will destroy the final enemy and possibly the most fearful enemy, and that is death itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8 said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're looking forward to the day when the last enemy to be destroyed is death and we are forever present with the Lord. Ultimately, Jesus' authority to conquer death is made available for all who will receive it. There was a jailer who asked a question in Acts chapter 16, verse number 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Who is this king of glory? His name is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. I would submit this. I would submit that there were those on earth and those remaining on earth who recognized Jesus in his first coming. I know who that is. That's Jesus, the king of glory. And if you've recognized him as the king in his first coming, 
you will have no trouble recognizing him as the king in his second coming. He's coming riding upon a horse, pure and white. On his vesture and on his side are written the the words, king of kings. He's coming forth to conquer and he's bringing the host of heaven with him, none of which will do the fighting, only the king. If you recognize him today as the king, you will be riding with him when he comes again as the king. There were those who asked the question, who is he? May by God's grace you answer the question, he is Jesus, the king of glory.